That's no moon. It's Death Star Battle on 1200XL, episode 13. everybody welcome to 1200 xl i'm john and i'm aaron and today aaron we're going to be talking about star wars return of the jedi yeah, man death star battle mm. is that a title or is that a title it's long boat it's a lot there's a lot of words in that title but i mean you have to be fully descriptive if you just put return of the jedi in there how would anyone know what movie series that was a part of that's true. That's true. Nobody would know. They would think it was some sort of Planet of the Apes spinoff. Plus, how many? There, everything you see these days has Death Star in it. So you couldn't just put <laughs> Death Star battles in there either. You got to have the whole thing. Now, Aaron, I think everybody has the point in their life when they start to hate Star Wars. Yeah. When when was that point for you? It was directly after I went and saw the Phantom Menace. It was instant, <laughs> instantaneous. That was the cutoff. Huh? Let me tell you something, and I feel bad for. And there's certain people out there that are old school fans. I'm sure Flack will get all Flack's a Flack's a homer. He likes all these movies. But I treasured the trilogy, uh, held it in high regard. And there was a time back in the day where you could not uh, see these movies. Like, aside from the fact that VCR tapes were expensive to buy or back in the day, and there weren't a lot of rental places. You got to think Star Wars came out in, like, 77. These things didn't even come to videotape for, like, I mean, forever. And when they did come to videotape, they were expensive. I remember just how excited I was to be able to rent the videos of these. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, oh, man, I get to go see Star Wars again. I hadn't seen that thing for like 10 years or whatever. It was a big deal. And so uh, all those years go by, and you're always wondering if they're going to make any more. you know. And then all of a sudden you hear the rumor, hey, they're making another one. And then you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And then you hear, hey, it's a prequel. Well, I don't think I'd ever seen a prequel. Point. I was like, oh, I don't, I, I know for sure I never yeah. heard that word. Yeah, I never Wars. heard such a thing. And so I'm like, prequel? What about Luke? Because of what irritated me about the trilogy was, and I'm assuming that most people watching this have at least a passing knowledge of Star Wars, but Luke Skywalker just became a death machine at the end of the death mm-hmm. of, of the third one, Jedi. Like, here he is. He's got the jack. And I thought, and I, Princess Leia and Han are together. I thought to myself, oh, man. Now we're going to see them really do some awesome stuff. Right. And there had right. been book series and stuff that featured Luke that had done real well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is going to be the bomb. And all of a sudden, here comes this prequel. And then as we got closer and closer to it, I kept hearing things I didn't like. Like none of the original characters were in it. It was completely, it was like <laughs> years and years in the, in before the originals. And I was just like, man, I don't know how this is going to go. You know, but then I, but. It was Star Wars, and we all had faith in George Lucas. And I went and saw this thing, and I mean, I saw it opening weekend, of course. And it was, in my opinion, and some people may have another opinion on it, it was just dull, stupid, mm-hmm. boring. The best character in it got killed, uh, and uh, it just was—it was just lame. And I, the, the, and not even getting into the whole Metaclorians thing or whatever. And so I thought that sucked. I'm going to give these guys, they've earned a lot of goodwill towards me. Let's see what they do in the second one, Clone Wars. That was even more dull. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't like any of the trilogy. Some people think the third one is like some kind of great shakes. I don't. I don't think it's that good. Uh, the acting in it was, I mean, 
Mystery Science Theater levels of acting in that first one. I, and I, I, Luke, I mean, uh, uh, Anakin, young Anakin and his mother, genetically, you can tell they're related because their acting prowess is hideous. <laughs> I mean, dinner clubs wouldn't hire these two goofs. So, yeah, I wasn't a big fan. And then as the years have rolled on, they've chipped away and chipped away at the stone of the trilogy that was in my head, like the, the monument in my mind to the trilogy. They kept working on it. And I find myself today... Uh, it was the first, I guess it would have been, uh, I saw the first movie that came out of, that Disney did, and then I think I've, I haven't seen one since. Uh, they did it. I mean, they actually kicked me out of Star Wars, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, and it, it's a real it's a real tragedy. Now, I don't want to bury people that like Star Wars and the new ones and stuff. Hey, different movies for different generations, whatever. But they killed it for me, bud. What about you? Yeah, for me, it... It was really why I was watching episode three, because I was like you. I was like, all right, this first movie was really, really long. I just remember coming out of the theater and there were all kinds of technical problems when we were watching. We watched it opening day over at the uh, over at Southridge. Mm -hmm. This is the famous picture of me and Hat Chad and Da Crabs MTG and a bunch of our goofy friends. I was dressed up like Han Solo. I had this deer skin vest. Because you know how Hans, he, he wore the, he, I look just like uh -huh. him, let's just say that. Um, but anyway, uh, we, during the, uh, one of the epic moments of the 15,000 minute pod racing scene, uh, the audio went out and uh, they started playing Rock 105 <laughs> during the, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was just, it was a surreal experience. And, uh, but even at the time I was like, man, this is kind of nice that we're getting a break from this. Um, the first movie, but I was like, you know what? They're just, they're, they're laying the foundation. It's going to get better with part two. Okay. Now part two, I actually think was the, the, the best of the three because at least it had the cool lightsaber duel with Yoda and Doku. Let me tell you something. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty good. Let me rad. tell you something about that scene. I caught, cause I, like I said, the first one disillusioned me. So I wasn't going to even see the second one. I thought, you know, I've never not seen one of these on opening weekend since the, since the second one. I'm going to go. And I caught the last airing on opening weekend. And I think the theater was full of, there were single guys. I don't think I saw a single mm -hmm. chick in the joint. It was packed. And we sat there through that entire movie. And just were, I mean, people were just, it's funny when it came on, people cheered a little bit. And then they just sat there mm -hmm. and sat there. And no one did anything until finally there's a scene, that scene where Yoda fires up the lightsaber. Right. And right. I looked around. At the theater, and everyone else looked around, and there was a swell like, <laughs> yeah! And then we watched that scene, and it was over, and it was just like, Bleh. and then right, we all just sat right. there, but it was the darndest, it was just like a wrestling show. They popped for that one thing. That was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like that, but that gave me, I was like, okay, so the third one, it's going to be the thing that makes all this worthwhile. And the third one is seriously. It's not Godzilla in 99. That was the worst movie I've ever seen in the theater. But it's right up there with one of the worst movie-going experiences in the theater that I've ever had. It was tr truly, truly horrible. So that's where I lost That's where I lost the faith in the Star Wars films. However, uh, I you, you mentioned the books. Like I think the Timothy Zahn Star Wars books are great. And 
just like so many other things, I like the idea of Star Wars, I think, more than anything that's ever actually happened. Like, just the, the, the whole universe, the X-Wings flying around, you've got the, the smuggler with the heart of gold, all that stuff. I like the idea of that stuff more than the actual product itself. Yeah, so, I can understand um, that. Yeah, and I will say it, this. As a little kid, I get a unique perspective because I'm so old. And So I saw Star Wars in the theater back in 77, 78 with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen the commercials. That's the only time I ever told my dad I want to go see this movie. And so we went and saw it. And I looked on in sheer amazement of what was unfolding in front because I'd never seen anything like it. And when Luke yeah. goes down the trench and blows up the Death Star in the first movie, I mean, it was an almost spiritual moment as a young mm-hmm. kid. Because at sure. the time, I was only like seven or so. And I don't think I had a, a, an experience like that in the theater again until I went and saw the first Lord of the Rings, that very beginning battle, where I was just mm-hmm. like, holy smokes. Uh, th- right. Those and so uh, you'll never kill it off entirely in me, but yeah. Uh, it, but I will say this week's game made it kind of fun to look back at a time when Star Wars was still a hot property, and I was really into it. Yeah. Well, speaking of looking back, Aaron, why don't we talk a little bit about Star Wars: Return of the Jedi, Death Star Battle? Absolutely. Now, I'm guessing, Boat, it's somewhere down the line you played this one. The, yes. Yeah. I had this game back in the day. For the 1200XL that's sitting right beside me. I still have the original cartridge and sat beside me right now. He's reaching. Pull it off the shelf right here. Oh my God. Stuff oh, fell. Yeah, that's okay. Don't worry about that. It's just glassware. It's all right. Yeah. So this is the, oh, uh, this is the sealed the sealed copy. Uh, a couple of years ago on the Amigo Secret Santa, Chekote uh, gifted me the ultimate Atari 8-bit lover's dream. He sent me this, a bunch of books, some other stuff, not knowing that I had such an attachment to this game. So I'm forever grateful nice. to Chakotay for this, a sealed copy of this game. Now, Aaron, this uh, this was published in 1983 by Parker Brothers. Okay, so Parker Brothers... Uh, what comes to mind when you hear about Parker Brothers and their foray into video games? Well, usually I think about our, our arcade conversions, you know, your Froggers mm-hmm. and your Pac-Man, stuff like that. They actually, it's funny, we go back and look on these shows, Parker Brothers ended up being halfway decent back in the day, didn't they, Boat? They put out well, some pretty good stuff. Well, it's funny, because I'll tell you what Parker Brothers brought to the table. They brought money to the table, Aaron, yeah. because they were they were rich because of their their board game empire. You know, they had it all. They had Clue and Monopoly and everything. In in America, uh, they were the first name when it came to board games. And so when they decided to get into the video game business, they didn't beat around the bush. They knew that the key to good selling video games, the key to profit was locking down licensed titles. Now, that's not to say that they didn't have games that weren't licensed titles. Uh, we covered Montezuma's Revenge a couple months back, yeah. and uh, that, that was an unlicensed game that Parker Brothers published. But by and large, they were in it to win it with the licensed titles. They did the G.I. Joe game for the 2600. Uh, they did the Strawberry Shortcake game. Uh, you'll notice that these games are not going to appear in any best of lists on, on the platform, but uh, that they, they produced games with these licenses, and these games, I'm sure, sold very well. Uh, but uh, on the other side of things, like you said, they did a bunch of arcade conversions. They locked down these licenses, so they did Popeye, they did Qbert, they did Frogger, and uh, and later on, um, 
they 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 started getting in of course their the board game adaptations but they were really only in the classic video game business for 2 years they got in in 82 and when the crash hit in 84 they made their exit it's too so bad. Uh, they, they had a, i mean really they had a, like I said a good run i'd forgot about montezuma yeah. did they were they responsible for the empire strikes back game is that one of theirs as well i believe yeah. i believe so yes yes so um, they 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 did some good stuff in their their little amount of time on the market, but it's a little unfortunate. We don't know exactly who these people are. I searched far and wide on the internet, Aaron, uh, to find the programmer or, or anybody that had anything to do with this game, and I could not find any information about who the actual programmers were. So much like Atari in its nascent days, they they did a good job of uh, not giving anybody any credit for anything that they did. So <laughs> the names behind this game will go on being unknown, at least for the time being. Um, but anyway, so Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. I would characterize this game as a, um, a top-down uh, flip-screen shooter with two screens. <laughs> and simulated 3D. Yeah, simulated. <laughs> well, sort of. Um, this game it starts you out in a uh, a space that it's it's supposed to represent you are orbiting the Death Star from afar, okay, and uh, you are piloting the Millennium Falcon, and you have free range to move about the lower third of the screen, or probably it's like the lower half of the screen. Um, you can move left, right, up, or down in in any any way that you want. Uh, when you reach the end of the screen, you loop back around, uh, and you are uh, fighting enemy craft. So you've got uh, the TIE interceptors here. You've got uh, the Imperial Lambda-class shuttle that is, that is here. And uh, it's your job to shoot those ships for points. Um, now, Aaron, before we get too far into uh, what you do in this game, now that I've sort of set the stage, uh, tell me about your first impressions with uh, this game. It's funny. I, when we when this game came up, I vaguely remembered playing it. Uh, and I think, I don't think I ever played anything uh, but, but the, like a 2600 version. I, did, I don't remember ever playing on the 8-bit. Let's put it that way. And so when this comes up, I'm struck instantly by the graphics of the of the shield. Uh, boy, it looks cool. Uh, they, they did mm -hmm. a great job rendering it. The Millennium Falcon it's is passable. You can tell it. It looks like a circle with a couple pointy bits on the end, you know, mm -hmm. and a and a, and a tr rectangle cut out. But I mean, it does the job. It's like Pac Man with braces. The shuttle you mentioned, the Imperial shuttle, that looks good. I don't think I don't think you can. I never was able to kill that. I'm assuming you, it's unkillable. You, isn't it? you can. You no. You can really? kill it. Really? Uh, you get yeah. Uh, you get I think like a thousand points. You get some major point bonus by killing it, but you can't kill it. The thing is, fast. It gives you such. It gives you so little time. This is a game that you have to play with the sound on because there are a lot of cues in this game. And uh, when the when the when the shuttle is about to go, you'll hear like a or something like that, and then it'll 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 rush across the bottom of the it screen. It rolls but, across. It rolls across quick and yeah. so the first screen I, I thought man this looks really good the the it's funny when you fight the guys at at the bottom of the screen you're fighting i mean i will say these aren't what i would say that were the best rendered ships they look like these they came out of the uh blood money uh enemy selection mm -hmm. committee because the tie fighters <laughs> are not i mean they're not I mean, none of that stuff looks great but it's not well I, I'll, I'll say this yeah 
I'll say that they're recognizable for what they right. are. They're good enough. You're good. Yeah. They're good enough, but they're not great. But right, right. it's offset by the fact that the stuff on the other side of the screen looks really good. All right, the shield yeah. looks awesome. You can see the uh, Death Star, the under construction in the background. There's mm -hmm. a sequence uh, where uh, you uh, move towards the Death Star, where you kind of warp in. That was cool looking. It's also got those rich, luscious Atari sound effects for explosions, mm -hmm. for warping. Uh, they're hard to describe unless you were a kid back in those days, and you just are, you kind of know them. That it's kind of like the sound, the palette, if you will, right, of those systems. Right. And so, uh, and, and and I've always liked it. I always have because it's a very rich, thick noise that this thing makes, and so I like that. Uh, but overall, graphically and stuff, once I laid my eyes on this boat, uh, I thought it was a real looker for the most part. Yeah. Now, now, though, I've described phase one of the game. Phase one is that you're you're orbiting the Death Star from afar. Phase two starts after you kill a certain. I think this is how it works. After you kill a certain number of uh, of Tie Fighters, or just wait maybe a certain amount of time, you'll start to see holes appear in the Death Star shield. Yeah. These things open up just like holes in Swiss cheese. Perfectly round holes, and uh, you fly into those holes. And when you do that, you enter into uh, sort of an eight-bit version of going into hyperspace. Yeah. That is the uh, you know the the very famous scene in the Star Wars movies. Whenever they go into hyperspace, it looks super cool. The stars whiz by you and stuff like that. So you get an approximation of that that I think is pretty good yeah. in this game. And uh, of course, the sound effects were very very cool during that part. Um, and uh, actually, it sounds kind of like uh, a taunting. Actually, it's like, but uh, it sounds less when lame you get... than that. <laughs> That's uh, when you get to when, on, when you get to the other side. Uh, you see the star, the, the 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 Death Star, and the Death Star is big. Yeah. However, the Death Star is is really is is. The scale is wrong. Let's just say that when we get to the, because you're essentially next to the Death Star yeah. in this point, and the Death Star I would say is probably <laughs> um, about one twentieth uh, or maybe one fifteenth bigger or fifteen times bigger than the Millennium Falcon. And of course, if you know anything about the Death Star, uh, it's the size of a of a small it, moon. It's like so. if you drove like the space shuttle up to the moon and you set them side by side, and you and the shuttle looked like it was about. A tenth the size of the moon. Clearly, it's right, not. Exactly. So, um, exactly. Let's give it the benefit of the doubt and assume there's a great distance between the two, even at that area. Let's let's do that. So, at this point, you're still contending with fighting off the Tie Fighters and things, but you also have to destroy the Death Star. Uh, this is done by chipping away at the uh, <laughs> at the Death Star itself, uh, breakout style or Arkanoid style with your with your missiles until you reach the cherry red center of the uh, of the Death Star. And at which point, uh, you the entire Death Star sort of shakes and moves and turns red and then explodes. Yeah. And while it's while it's in the process of exploding, it fires off these fireballs from it. Or you know the the, the sort of the wreckage of the Death Star. And you have to avoid that or be killed. Yeah. Now, while you're doing that, 
Uh, the Death Star is, it has a defensive weapon of its own. It actually has this little green block that travels uh, horizontally across the screen and sort of follows you, and every once in a while it will fire down a green laser. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's sort of like a homing beacon type thing that, that's out to get you. So you've got to avoid that. So you can't just roll up to the Death Star and fire a bunch of shots in the center. You've kind of got to finagle your way and go back and forth to, to trick that laser into uh, not firing at you. So you're doing that, and at the same time as all of that, the Death Star is also slowly being rebuilt. Uh, parts of pixels are essentially flying in from off screen and filling in parts of the Death Star that need to be complete. And of course, if you cannot, def if you can't blow up the Death Star by the time the Death Star is complete, the game is over and you will be destroyed by the laser wherever you are. So um, that, oh yeah, and we already mentioned that the uh, that the Imperial uh, shuttle will venture across the screen in a horizontal path and, and find you. It sort of reminds me of, uh, of something like Killer Bees, where you've got to watch out for enemies that are attacking you from above and from the side. So that is the game in a nutshell. Aaron, what do you think about this game? You know, I will say, uh, the uh, holes opening up the shield, in terms of the storyline of Jedi, if you'll recall, uh, you, you had Han and Leia on uh, the the uh, Ewok home planet there, and they were trying to take out the shield that protected the the Death Star that was under construction. So I'm assuming, in terms of the film, that these holes were opening up uh, because Han and Leia were down there jacking around with the shield, the shield the, 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 that was uh, keeping this thing protected. So I like that. It actually fits in with the movie, uh, and then that frontier between you and the uh, Death Star that is the shield makes sense. Uh, once you get to the Death Star itself, Hey, listen. This reminded me of the boss battle in Phoenix. Uh, if you, mm -hmm. if you oh yeah, very yeah, where you yeah. break the bottom of the thing open. It's funny. You can break tons and tons of the Death Star, but you can only really use the center part, which is again sort of like Phoenix. Uh, and uh, the, the it's neat. I noticed those little pixels flying in. I was like, what is that? And I once I sat down and watched what was happening, I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I never lived long enough to get to a level where the Death Star could be rebuilt quick enough to where it made a difference, but it's still kind of neat. Mm -hmm. I think the Death Star looks cool. I mean, yes, there is some continuity issues with the Millennium Falcon blowing up chunks of the Death Star. If you'll recall in the film, uh, Londo flies that sucker into the De Death Star, which I always thought was, I'll be honest with you, I never liked that part of the movie because it seemed like the stupidest thing you could do would be to fly a ship into that. And how could you possibly maneuver in there? You know. Yeah. But all that said... This actually, they rewrote the movie, and it makes more sense this way. I can see the Money fucking out dropping, dropping uh, photon bombs up from space and hitting the Death Star. I'll mm -hmm. buy it. I'm, I'm, I'm buying it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Now, uh, I like the, I, I like the defenses of the, of the ship. It is neat how that laser follows you around. Uh, the, uh, uh, it's fun. It's challenging. There's a rhythm to it that if you understand the rhythm, you can, uh, you can sort of move when you think it's coming. You know, and you, usually you're mm -hmm. right. Uh, you're always pestered by stuff at the bottom of the screen. That I thought it was real clever and a clever use of the of the film. Uh, one would wonder why they tried, why they even bothered calling this Return of the Jedi. Well, I guess they did it to differentiate this from the arcade game of the same name, Return of the Jedi. So every reason I could think right. they would do it because really this could have just been called Return of the Jedi, and you'd get the picture uh, mm -hmm. as to what it was. But uh, a very neat game. Now, once you blow up the Death Star and you and it loops. Uh, it it ramps up the difficulty with like a second shield that comes up mm -hmm. on the on the front screen. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So there's a there's a the second shield is a very thin uh, like it's like a one pixel wide line 
that sort of fades in and fades out. Yeah. So you have to time your movement through the hole that opens up with that. You can't, you know, whenever that pixel is visible, it will destroy you immediately. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a neat way to add more difficulty to the game that still is in keeping with the uh, with the theme, which is which is always a good thing. Now, um, Aaron, when I was a kid and I fired this thing up, I thought, man, this is super super impressive graphics. Yes, this is this is this is. I mean, it's it's. I wasn't I wasn't going to go so far to say this is like I'm playing the movie, but I was pretty impressed with the graphics, and I I was impressed with the Atari 8-bit computer's ability to render these graphics. Yeah. However, for the first time, Aaron, I went and I looked at the Atari 2600 version of this game. Have you looked at the 2600 I version of this? I had played that back in the day. Yes, that is a programming masterpiece. I will say, it's not that far off, as I recall. No, it's yeah. not. It looks almost identical yeah. to the Atari 8-bit version. So I'm revising my viewpoint and saying that, you know, this is probably no great shakes on the Atari 8-bit, but programming a game of this amount of complexity and having the graphical fidelity that they did on the 2600 version, that is the version I would seek out and play just as an homage to all of those programmers for, for you know, squeezing out the quality of the, the 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 bare minimum hardware in the 2600. So kudos to those guys for doing it. But the 2600, the Atari 8-bit, were not the only two uh, platforms to get a release of this game. This is true. There's one more, isn't there, Yes, Aaron? there is. The old ZX Spectrum. Surprisingly got a port. Now, I didn't get to play this, but I did look it up, Boat, for a comparison here. Let's have a look. Uh, uh, what you've got here is... Uh, basically, uh, a uh, very re sort of a remedial version of what you're yes. seeing on the Atari. Uh, the the deaths. I will say that I think the Millennium Falcon actually looks better, and the Tie Fighters look better too. But the Death Star looks not good. It yeah. looks like a Pokeball, basically, uh, up there spewing stuff. Is that what it reminds you of? It does. It looks just you know, like one. You got to catch them all. Uh, that yeah. much said, uh, in your opinion, boat. Now we we know a little bit about the Specky. Uh, does does it have the jack to do better than this? Oh, absolutely. I guarantee you that, you know, Parker Brothers, they're an American company. They were going to put their best foot forward on the systems that were selling well in America at the time. I guarantee you they, they, they uh, you know, they farmed out the Spectrum port. And uh, I'm sure that they it's the same old story where you've got, you know, two weeks to do it. You've got a 16-year-old in his bedroom coding it. Go to work. And, and, you know, they did what they could, but that is the version that you want to avoid out of all I three. will say, as we gaze upon it now here, with the exception of the god-awful close-up Death Star, it doesn't look bad at all, to be honest with you. Well, it, it, the, the now, I played, played it. I, I played this some, and the ship movement does not feel good. Really, It feels like the ship, I mean, obviously space is a vacuum, but you have no momentum as you go. It's basically like you're just like pushing a magnet on a board. I see. And, the, the, and, and so the, the, the game just doesn't feel right. Uh, so you're the like you said the the actual before you approach the Death Star that stuff looks okay but when when you get into the up close and personal with the Death Star it's it's bad it's real bad. One would wonder what made them think that that was passable for the Death Star. I mean, really, that is. <laughs> I mean, everything else you could get by, but that is no good. Uh, and I yeah. don't know. I mean, I don't know what limitations they were under, but yeah, that's that was a dud boat in terms of the looks. 
Yeah. Now, I did find some interesting trivia about this game. Um, attached to the release of this game, Parker Brothers ran a contest, okay? Uh, they said, okay, fill out this entry form and, you know, answer these questions. Remember seeing these in magazines back in the day, Aaron, where they're like, you could win this Hi-Fi Lover's Paradise. Yeah. It was like 18 game consoles and like a Hi-Fi system, and it yeah. was always like a crossword puzzle or something like that, right? Yeah, I remember seeing those. So, so this was one of these things you could win a 50-inch projection TV, Whoa. which I'm sure was a big deal yeah. back in back in 84. You ain't kidding. Nobody had that. You could win, in addition to that, an upright Star Wars arcade game. Oh, God. Uh, and what a deal. And But what's interesting about this is one of the prizes was a game called Star Wars Return of the Jedi Ewok Adventure. Mm. And so I'm answering your question right now, and you said, why did they call this game Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle? It's because this was just this was going to be the first of many Return of this uh, Return of the Jedi games released. That would explain yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And of course, what came along in '84 was the old video game crash here in North America, and so none of that stuff ever came to fruition. Parker Brothers shut down, and uh, I believe that Star Wars Return of the Jedi Ewok Adventure, I, I don't think much is known about that aside from maybe a screenshot or two. I don't think that that has been one of the ROMs that's been dumped. I could be wrong. So uh, that's just sort of an interesting uh, what might have been if the game crash hadn't happened. There's no word on whether they ever gave the pri the other prizes, the upright Star Wars arcade game or the 50-inch protection TV. I don't know if that, that ever actually happened or not. You know what these video game contests, sometimes they weren't true to their word. Oh, yeah, I have heard that, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Star Wars Return of the Jedi Death Star Battle. One little bit of uh, fun trivia that I saw over on Moby Games. If you lose your last ship while avoiding the explosion of the Death Star, uh, if, the if the current score is 200 points or less uh, away from an extra ship, you'll still get the extra ship, but the game will end. <laughs> so you get an extra life, but it's still game over. <laughs> so you're out of luck. Beautiful, man. Hey, did you get the action on the Discord with this? I'm looking right now. We got one review from the one, the only, the living legend, Mitsuyama. He says, I was getting ready to slate this game, but the more I played it, the more I enjoyed mm. it. I'm not sure if this is a direct port of the 2600 version, but it certainly looks the same as the 5200 version. The graphics may be basic, but they do a good job of representing the different types of ship. The Death Star looks great in stages 1 and 2, and I like the warp effect as your transition from stage 1 to 2. I did... I didn't like the sound, and I would have turned it off if I didn't need to listen out for the Imperial shuttle and the Death Star laser alerts, but there are some nice R2-D2 chirps when you earn an extra life. The gameplay loop is very short, but I kept coming back to try and beat my high score. I expected a little more polish from the Atari 8-bit version. A title screen and an attempt at the Star Wars theme tune would have been nice. Yeah, you're not kidding, Mitz. However, it's still miles better than the Specky version. Stay away from that one. <laughs> there you go. Hey, just for fun, but I don't want to the uh, does the boxed sealed copy of this go for big money? Is this one of those games that are in demand? I'm assuming they printed about a million of those, so I'm assuming it's not. You know, I I don't the the one of the great things about collecting for uh, the Atari eight bit computers is that uh, it the, not much is is expensive. You can still get your hands on almost everything, and it's because there was so much new old stock available. Yeah. Um, that, that you can buy a great portion of the Atari 8-bit catalog, still new old stock from sites like Be uh, Best Computers over in California. Um, I'm looking it up right now, and uh, it looks like 
Uh, well, if you want a graded version, nine point eight, Aaron, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks. Whoa, you're a, you're a rich man, dude. However, in the in the real world, oh. where people actually buy things for money, it looks like one of these just sold sealed for fifty two dollars. There you so, go. Hey, uh, still not bad. Yeah, and a cartridge only version sold for thirty seven bucks. So there's not much distance between the cart only and the sealed version. So yeah, you can still these are still obtainable. One of the things I love about the Atari eight bit computers is that it's still a very obtainable system to collect stuff for if you're in the market. Pretty neat though. Now, Aaron, we have christened something if you wouldn't mind going over to the old uh twelve hundred XL Patreon page. We're introducing some new features over here, Aaron. So, first of all, we have a, uh, a new level of giving. If you would like to support uh, 1200XL uh, monthly through Patreon, uh, you can do so uh, starting at the low, low price of only $2 per month. So, uh, if you uh, if you want to throw us a couple bucks, you like the show, uh, we, we sure would appreciate it. You know, every little bit helps. But, Aaron... If you want to step it up, uh, you actually, if you give $4 a month to us for 1200XL, you will get, at the end of this year, at Christmas time, you'll get an official 1200XL magnet. Now, at the time of recording, if you're watching this, if you're watching the video version, I've not yet uploaded the, the, the photo of the magnet, but I've made the magnets, and uh, they will be there. So there's a special official supporter magnet that you will get. And, of course, if you give, uh, you will also get access to our Discord server, the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. You can leave a review of any of the games that we play on any of the shows, and we will read those reviews on the air. But, Aaron, the big money is at the old $10 a month level, okay? $10 a month gives you access to the 1200XL Game Selection Committee, Aaron. And this is the level where you actually can nominate and vote on the games that we play on 1200XL. Uh, but that's not all. If you're the member of any of the game selection committees on any of the shows that we do, you get privileges on, for nomination and voting on all the shows. So you can help select the games for Amigos, our podcast about the Amiga, the Coco Show, a show about the TRS-80 color computer, and our Sinclair, our ZX Spectrum podcast. You get all those benefits, plus being able to nominate and vote on games for future episodes of 1200XL. So, uh, but... There's also a magnet for this level, too. Uh, you can get a special uh, 1200XL Game Selection Committee magnet that comes at the end of the year, as well as the supporter magnet, if you support the show at the $10 a month level. So, speaking of the 1200XL Game Selection Committee, they have voted, Aaron, and the votes are in thanks to our Game Selection Committee Chairman, David Z. Next, next month, Aaron, we will be playing... Rally Speedway. Mm, Rally Speedway. Okay. Racing yeah. title. I'm into it. That's right. That's right. Uh, we want to thank uh, Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky, for the suggestion. And, of course, uh, one other thing about Patreon. We are, we've are we set a goal, Aaron, and that goal is $200. If we can get $200 a month in Patreon, we will make 1200XL a weekly show for your enjoyment. Yes. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Now. Aaron, I know that uh, you've played Rally Speedway before. I've played it before. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about it. But until then, the only thing left to say is make sure you play your Atari today. <laughs> <laughs>